leg with a message. Good morning. We did a lot better this morning on the Honduras announcement for sure. Just to be clear with you though, today is your last day to sign up if you want to go to Honduras with us. So please sign up. Make sure you're going to be a part of that trip. It is going to be a great time. We want you to be part of that. So good morning and glad we could worship together here today. This is our Palm Sunday, a week leading up to Easter. Can you believe that next week is Easter? I, I think every year that I get older, it's like time moves faster and faster and faster, and we just fly through these years. So I hope that you really have been praying about your one, maybe and going ahead and inviting them to Easter worship next week. You know, that's a Sunday that when people were resistant to coming to church, many times on Easter or especially Christmas Eve, they're much more open to that. So I pray that you've invited them. If you haven't, go do that now. And then even more important, I hope and pray that you're taking the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Share your life, share your story, share how God has impacted you and be a part of their lives with them. So today, specifically, as we think about this Palm Sunday, I want you to look back 2,000 years ago and think about what was happening on Palm Sunday. We celebrate the triumphal entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. Everybody's cheering for Jesus. They're excited that the Messiah has come. They're so excited as he's coming down the hill, coming into Jerusalem. There's this amazing time. They're cheering for them. But yet, it seems like none of them realize what's about to happen. Even Jesus' followers, he's been telling them over and over again what's about to happen, and it's like none of them really get it. They're holding on to the prophecies of old, and they see the Messiah as this conquering king that's going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and take over everything and going to change everything. They just don't have the picture of what's happening. They don't understand the full plan, and they specifically don't understand the timing of what God's doing. See, Thursday of this week, everything will change in that story. Everything will change. They're cheering because they expect Jesus to come and take over and be their new king, and they have no idea that he's going to be wrongfully accused and sent to the cross. Now, does that make the prophecies untrue that have been stated for years and years and years? Absolutely not. In fact, what happens on Thursday fulfills even more of the prophecies and more of the details right down to the smallest little thing that might have been overlooked or misunderstood or maybe just you didn't have the whole context of the picture. All of this is part of God's perfect plan of salvation, of his plan of redemption, but yet it seems like it catches almost everybody by surprise. Even Jesus' 12 who were following him, walking with him every day, Three years they've spent with him, and he has told them over and over and over as this time comes, I'm going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man's going to be betrayed. I'm going to give my life. And they're still caught off guard. They don't expect it. They don't see it coming. And as I think about that story, it seems to me that it sounds very familiar to the story of Joseph we're walking through. Think about it. Joseph has these two dreams that come to him. God's spoken to him. He's called to this huge position of leadership and power, and he knows that these things are going to unfold. And then what happens? His brothers betray him. He gets thrown in a pit. He gets sold into slavery. He gets there. He's wrongfully accused of sexual misconduct. He's thrown into prison. Then the one guy in prison who he thinks can put in a good word for him and help him get out doesn't even remember him. And that's where we ended last week. We've walked through five tests of his life. And if I'm Joseph, I'm going, now what? What about my dream? What happened here? Now see, actually, we could define that dream in Joseph's life as a prophecy over his life. It's God speaking his plan over Joseph. That dream was a message to Joseph directly from God. And God has a plan for each one of our lives too. The question is, can we hear it? 
Can we hear that plan? Can we hear God speak to our lives? Or more importantly, when God does speak, do we have the faith to hold on to that word that he speaks over us? So before I go any further, I wanna pause here for just a minute because I just wanna recognize that for a lot of you, probably that word prophecy comes with a little bit of baggage. Depending on your church background, depending on your experience in the world, depending on what, what you've done with that word, it's gonna carry some baggage. And it gets thrown around incorrectly a lot of times. There's a lot of false prophecies that happen around us that we hear about and we see and we wonder what to do with that. And honestly, I think the bigger issue with all of it is, is most people have a difficult time even defining what prophecy is or is not to be able to have clarity. So I wanna start with just a real simple understanding that will help us to navigate what you need to hear and understand today. And I don't want you to miss the forest for the tree, so to speak, if you know what I mean, okay? So let's go with this definition. Prophecy is simply the revelation of a message from God to man. Let's keep it really, really simple. Does that make sense? Prophecy is a revelation of a message from God to man. It's God speaking, revealing himself, or revealing a part of his plan to us. And it can happen in a lot of different ways. I hear some of you use this little phrase, a still small voice, how God speaks to you. It's kind of that quiet inner sense of what's going on. That can be God speaking. Sometimes it's just a sense within your spirit, plain and simple. Sometimes it can be a dream or a vision. It can be a new realization in scripture. You're reading along and suddenly something jumps off the page at you that you've never seen before and you realize God's speaking something over me in the words that I'm reading today. God speaks in lots of different ways. But what's really important is that we realize and we affirm that God does speak. He speaks to us today. This is how God created the world. Everything in it, he spoke it into existence. God speaks his dream or his plan over your life and he calls you to be a part of what he's doing. But here's what I would suggest. When we can't hear God's voice, when we can't hear the things that he's speaking over us, often it's not a problem of God is not speaking, but rather it's a problem of we're not listening. Or maybe even a little bit differently, we're not in a position to be able to hear what God has to say. One of my favorite stories from scripture is when God speaks to Samuel in, in 1 Samuel chapter three. And here's what's really interesting about how the story starts. In the end of verse one, it says this, 1 Samuel chapter three, verse one, this is the second half of the verse, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So the Hebrew word that's translated into English, and this is gonna get confusing here for a minute. So the he Hebrew word translated into English is the word, word, let's see how many times we can say that in a row without making it confusing, is the word debar. So debar is what's translated, and the word of the Lord, and the debar of the Lord. And it's a pretty common Hebrew word. It shows up over 1,400 times in the Old Testament. Our best and most common English translation is simply word. But there's a much more specific understanding that goes on there. One specific definition I found of debar is this. What is said, a word, or any unit of speech, such as a clause, or the whole of communication. See, debar is a picture of something that is spoken but in many cases, it also carries with, us, with it this inference to a conversation that's happening. It's a speaking of something very specific, a statement that's made over something, but it also often indicates that it's a hearing of that same thing. It's a listening to that. There's both speaking and hearing going on within that. And I want you to think about that verse with this context in mind. What if the problem was not that God wasn't speaking? It says, and the word of the Lord was rare. It's as if God wasn't speaking. But what if, instead of God not speaking, it was that his people couldn't hear his voice? Or more importantly, what if they were in a position where they had placed themselves in a place they could not hear what God had to say? 
See, if you take context of this, you go back to the chapter before and you read through, you read Samuel has come into the temple and he's with the priest Eli and he's interacting with Eli, but it also tells us right before that that Eli's sons were sinful and wicked men and that they were doing things that God did not want them to do, that God detested. And in fact, part of what's gonna happen here is God's gonna speak to Samuel and he's gonna tell him that Eli's sons are gonna be destroyed because of the choices they're making. Now it says they can't hear from God, but what if the people of God in that season are at a place where they're doing things that block that communication of God to where their hearts cannot hear what he has to say? How does that change everything for them? Even Eli, the priest, struggles to know when God's speaking. As this story unfolds, you've probably heard this story maybe as, as a little Bible story when you were a kid where God calls out to Samuel in an audible voice and Samuel thinks it's Eli calling to him and he runs and he goes, yes, Eli, I'm here. What are you saying? And Eli's going, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. What are you talking about? And it goes back and forth two or three times and finally the third time is when Eli realizes, oh, God's speaking to you. He says, Samuel, go back and when you hear the voice again, say, here I am, Lord, speak. I'm listening. And that's where... Samuel begins to hear what God has to say. See, while God chooses when to speak, I would suggest that more often than not, we have a hearing problem rather than God not speaking. So that's kind of a side note, but I think you're gonna see why I went there in just a minute as we dig into today's topic. So we're continuing in our Dream to Destiny series, talking about the life of Joseph, the 10 specific tests that he went through as God shaped his character, preparing him to be ready for the destiny that God laid before him. So, so far we've covered the pride test, the pit test, the palace test, the purity test, and then last week, Stivey walked us through the prison test. And we've been systematically walking through the story in Genesis. Hopefully you're following along from Genesis 37 to the end of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50 is the story of Joseph, and that's what we've been walking in. But today, I want us to kind of step back and look at the overall picture and refocus on the story a little bit. And instead of looking in Genesis, we're going to jump over to Psalm for a little bit and look at Psalm 105. Now, he's already been through several tests, and Joseph's sitting in prison, and the one person that he thought might help him has forgotten him. And if I'm Joseph, I'm probably asking God something like, did I hear you right? I mean, were you serious about me being this great leader or, or being in charge of great things? What happened to my dream? I'm stuck in prison. That doesn't line up with the things that you showed me in this dream. And I suspect that for you and I, it's similar to that. What happens every time something doesn't go the way we think it should? What happens when we think God said something to us or something's going to unfold in our lives and then it seems like life just turns upside down and goes a completely different direction? It's just like when Joseph was in the pit. His whole life was turned upside down. He had literally just had this dream. He knew God was doing something amazing. His brothers betray him, throw him in the pit. What happened? He gets out of the pit, he gets sold into slavery, he rises to this powerful position in the palace with Potiphar, right? And he thinks something's good's gonna happen. Then what happens? He gets wrongfully accused, now he's thrown in prison. He's literally shackled. He feels hopeless. And he's looking back at this dream where God said, you're gonna be this amazing leader who's gonna stand tall over your brothers, over your parents, over the nation. You're going to be in charge of things. And Joseph's going, I'm stuck in jail, what happened? How did I get here? But just like the thought that Stivey ended on last week, when everything seems to be going wrong in our lives and when we think that we've fallen too far away, we have to shift our eyes back to God and hold to the one who gave the dream in the first place. We have to hold strong to the dream, that word that God's spoken to us. But even stronger, we have to hold to the giver of the dream. And today I wanna share some practical things that I hope will help you to do that. So jump with me over to Psalm 105. 
We're specifically going to be looking at uh, verse 19, but I'm going to give you a little context that we're going to go 16 through 19 to start. And just so you have full context of what's happening here, Psalm 105 is telling the story of God's people. It's telling how they've walked through all of these different things, and God has basically been shaping their character, moving them, molding them, shaping them to be the people that he's called them to be. And you see God's rescue come along. You see God's plan of redemption unfolding in his people. You see his grace and his mighty power. So look here specifically, verses 16 and 19. It says, he called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Listen to what that just said and think about the context of that. He sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. God had a plan that was much bigger than anybody else saw or understood. He gave Joseph a dream, and then he sent him to Egypt. That wasn't what Joseph was expecting. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they bruised his feet with fetters, placed his neck in an iron collar. That's the picture of the suffering that he went through when he was in prison. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. God had a plan from the very beginning. He chose to send his people to Egypt where they would end up being enslaved and he'd have to rescue them. And Joseph is one piece of this much bigger puzzle that God's putting together. See, here's the problem. We only see a puzzle piece when we hear from God. We only see one little thing but God sees the whole thing. He's holding the lid of the puzzle box. You know how when you're working a puzzle, what do you do? You set up the lid so that you can see the whole picture to know how it's gonna come together and figure out where those pieces are gonna go. Not only does God have the lid of the puzzle box, he drew the picture in the first place. He's got it, he's got it figured out. He knows what's going on. So God sends Joseph as part of this unfolding story and then Joseph goes through literal suffering. He's thrown in a pit, he's sold into slavery, he's thrown into prison. You're gonna see more things to come in weeks to come. But now look at that last verse, Psalm 105, 19. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. That's what this whole series is about, how God is testing Joseph's character to prepare him to step into the destiny that God has for him. But there are a couple of significant distinctions in this verse that I think change our whole understanding of how this entire series relates to you and me. And I want to look at that same verse in a different version, in ESV, which is English Standard Version. It's a word-for-word -word translation, and it words it like this. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now, see, there's some things that we can miss when we just look at this verse in other versions, but I want you to look at what the Hebrew word said in this. This is one of the very few places where you're going to see the Hebrew word debar translated into English as something other than the simple English word, word. And here it says, until what he had said. Instead of just putting word, it says what he had said. They're trying to give a very specific definition to what's happening here in debar. That's translated in a lot of other passages or a lot of other versions of the Bible as the word of the Lord. Until the word of the Lord came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. But yet there's another distinction that's there because in this verse, there's two different Hebrew words that both translate as word. Now I'm gonna make it really confusing for you. There are a bunch of different Hebrew words that all translate to one simple English word, word, for us because there are all these different contexts that they would be used in. So let me show you a mix of the English and the Hebrew to give you a little more context. Until the debar of the Lord came to pass, the emrah of the Lord tested him. These are two different Hebrew words. Where the word debar was pretty common, 
And it didn't specifically refer to only God speaking. It is a very specific statement or proclamation that's being made. So it's referring to the dream that God's given Joseph. God has spoken this very specific dream or destiny, or you might define it as destination, over the life of Joseph. And we might say it today something like this. God called Joseph to a position of powerful leadership so that God could save his people through Joseph. Think about that. God spoke that over Joseph through two very specific dreams, those prophetic words received by him. But in the second half of the verse, while it refers to God's word again, it's completely different. Imrah is a Hebrew word that's used only 37 times in the Old Testament, and every time it refers specifically to the literal word of God, to the Bible. Imrah is scripture. For example, another place that you see Imrah is in Psalm 119, verse 11, where it says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden scripture in my heart. I've hidden your literal word in my heart so that I know all about you, know who you are, know what you expect of me so that I might not sin against you. See, Joseph didn't have a copy of the Bible like you and I have. In fact, it wasn't even written yet when we're reading the story of Joseph, but God had placed his word in the hearts of his people. Joseph knew right from wrong. He knew how he was to live in order to honor God. In fact, two weeks ago, as we talked about purity, we saw how Joseph knew that he needed to flee when Potiphar's wife came after him. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew how he was supposed to behave. In his book, From Dream to Destiny, Robert Morris puts it this way. So what Psalm 105, 19 is actually saying about Joseph is this. Until the time that Joseph's prophetic word or the spoken word came to pass, the literal word of God, the Bible, tested him. The literal word of God tested him. And then he goes on to say this, and I think this is hugely insightful to our understanding. The prophetic word tends to, be, tends to test our faith. But the literal word of God tests our character. And the literal word of God is the Bible. The Bible is our standard. The Bible is the word by which all other words from God have to be measured. And because of that, it's absolutely essential that we know the word, the Bible of God. See, what God speaks over our lives, that tests our faith. We have to hold on to those words that God speaks over us. Even when we're walking through the, the pits of hell of life circumstance, Joseph had to hold on to what God showed him in those two dreams, even when he was in the pit, even when he was in prison, even when he was being wrongfully accused. Every other struggle and test that he faced, he had to hold on to those words. But even more importantly, and if you hear nothing else today, I hope you'll hold on to this one nugget of truth right here. If we want to survive this life and step into the destiny that God has for us to be the people that he's called us to be, we have to immerse ourselves in his word. If you hear nothing else, you need to hear that. We have to immerse ourselves in his word. The only way you can know the way God wants you to live is to read his book of instructions. If you call yourself a follower of Christ and you're not reading this book every day, you're missing everything. Literally, you're missing everything. I don't know how to say that any stronger or help you understand anymore how important this one thing truly is for your life. Your whole life rises and falls on the words of this book. Absolutely, rises and falls. This is God's literal words for life, for you and for me. And yeah, some of the things that are written here are hard, really hard. Sometimes you read through this and you go, oh, I don't like that. That stings a little. That hurts when I read through that. But see, God gave these instructions to shape our character and to form our lives around his principles. Because the reality is this. We are to bend our wills to God's word, not bend God's word to match our own sinful and selfish desires. 
Listen to that. We are to bend our wills to God's word, not bend God's word to what we want. And that's hard because guess what? We're all a sinful and broken people. We want what we want. Our selfishness kicks in. We want to interpret things so that it's easy for us and so that we can walk through life without tests and trials. But that's not what shapes our character. God uses his word to shape our character. We live in a day and an age where the word of God is more available than it's ever been. And yet I would argue that we are the most biblically illiterate generation there's ever been to walk the earth. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, God told me to do such and such. And the thing they say goes completely against scripture. God's word and what God speaks over your life is never gonna go against his word. It's never gonna do it. He's not gonna contradict himself. It's not going to go against scripture. But how can you know that if you're not spending time in his word so that you know his word? You have to be there. If you're a follower of Christ, this is the map for your life. This book tells you everything you need to know. And don't just take my word for it. Dig into it and figure it out for yourself. Walk in it. See what it does. See how it changes your life. See how God changes your life when you're spending time in his word every day. See how your perspective changes when you allow his words to change the direction of your life, to change the way you think about things. That's one of the many reasons that we're doing this reading plan that we've been talking about the last few weeks, seeing Jesus together. And I hope you guys are getting excited about that, plugging into it. Stivey and Jamie talked about it in Vision 15 last week. I think they're gonna tell us more details about it again today. But if you haven't signed up, you need to today. It's important. This is something we do together as a church family to walk in his word. Again, if you hear nothing else I say today, listen to this one thing. Get in his word. Read every day. And don't just read it Put it to practice. Live it. See how it affects your life. Allow his word to direct every single step of your life. Allow it to shape you. Allow it to change your thinking. Allow it to change your behavior. Now, I've already given you a huge piece of my first point, so we're just going to wrap it up real simple here. But I want to quickly share three things that I think will help you to, to walk through this prophecy test. And asking this question, how do we discern if something is truly a word from the Lord and what do we do with it? What do we do with it? And the first and most important thing is this. We must submit our word to God's word. And that our word that's there is the word God speaks over us, not what you just come up with on your own. But when God speaks something to your heart, however that may be through any of these methods we talked about, when God speaks something to you, we first have to submit that to his word. When we sense God speaking, whether it's a simple sense to our spirit, whether it's a dream or a vision, whatever it is, we filter it through the Bible through his word. God will never speak something over us that contradicts his word, never. And that's why everything that I just said is so important. We have to be reading God's word. We have to be digesting God's word. We have to be understanding God's word. We have to be living it out. The Bible should both inform and direct our lives. And then the second thing is this. We must test our word. That word God has given to us or judge it is the word that we often see in scripture. And part of this process goes right back to this first point that I just said. We judge the word that we sense God's given us or a word that somebody else speaks over us. Because sometimes that happens. Sometimes God will give a word to someone else and they'll speak it over our lives. And when we sense that that's a word from God, we still have to bring that to God's word. We still have to test it against his word. He's never gonna go against his word. In fact, there's a really stern warning related to this in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Verse one, suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles occur. If they then say, come let us worship other gods 
gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice, and cling to him. See, this is where prophecy gets so confusing so many times for people. Because there are times that somebody will speak something over your life and it's not really from the Lord and you've got to test that. You've got to judge that. Is God speaking that over my life? And first you've got to look at his word and if it's asking you to do something or telling you to go somewhere that's not what God has said in his word, it's not of the Lord. He's never going to contradict his word. So that's the first thing that we have to do is we test this. Don't be fooled by someone who claims to have proof that what they're saying is from God. Test it against his word. Figure it out for yourself. Second, test it against your spirit, your inward witness. Romans 8, 16 reminds us that his spirit has been joined with our spirit, especially as we're growing in our faith by spending time in his word, our spirit becomes more and more in tune with the Holy Spirit, and we can sense when something is truly from God or not. Don't just take somebody's word for it. Does it line up with the things that God's been speaking in your own heart? And then, like I said earlier, remember that a message that comes from God is one little piece of this much bigger puzzle. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says it like this. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. You've probably heard this scripture quoted about, it's like looking through a dim glass. We see a fuzzy picture of the reality of what God's doing because we can't see it all in our finite human understanding or view or perspective that we have. We don't see the whole picture that God sees. We can't stand out of time and see that. And on this side of eternity, it's always going to be that way. We're not gonna see the whole picture. Do you think that when God gave the dream to Joseph that he realized he was gonna be in charge of the nation of Egypt? Do you think that's what he saw? I mean, it, we don't read that in the dreams. It just shows that he's standing above his brothers and his, his mother and father and that he's gonna be in this position of power. I think he sees himself as being over their nation. But yet God takes him to Egypt and he becomes the number two most powerful man in Egypt. He would have never dreamed in a million years he was going to Egypt. There was nothing God showed him that said, you're going to Egypt or even to another country. It just showed him he was going to be a power. You think he pictured he was going to go through years of suffering in order to stand in power over his family? Of course not. His dream was one small piece of a much larger puzzle that God was revealing little by little by little. And when the time came that Joseph's family came to Egypt and he had the power to decide their fate, guess what? He wasn't the same as that 17-year-old punk prideful kid that got that dream from God. He was a totally different man. He was seeing more of the puzzle pieces come together. He had a completely different context, and yet he still couldn't even come close to seeing the whole picture. Test the word against God's word. Test the word against your own spirit. Test the word through prayer and reflection. See, sometimes God will speak something that you sense is true, but maybe the timing isn't quite right. Or maybe there's some other pieces of the puzzle that have to come together before it actually makes sense in our limited human understanding. Think back to the beginning of the story where Joseph shares his second dream with, his with his, not only his brothers, but also with his father. And do you remember how Jacob responded in that moment? He scolded Joseph, basically got on him for his pride. But then we read this, Genesis 37, 11. He says, but while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Now, just my opinion, okay, I'm reading into this, just my opinion, that when I read that, I think Joseph, or excuse me, I think Jacob knew that God was speaking to Joseph. I think he knew. I think when Jacob revealed, or when 
gosh, I'm never going to get these names straight. When Joseph revealed the dreams to his father, Jacob, we'll get them straight. They had to name them all with J's, same as I did in my family. It messes you up. I just say, hey, you, and hopefully my girls respond. So when Joseph reveals the dreams to his father, Jacob, I think Jacob knew God was speaking in that moment. I think he knew there was something going on. I just don't think he could see the whole picture. It says he wondered what it meant. I think he was pondering this going, okay, what are you doing here, God? What's going on? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you put my youngest son in charge of everything? Why would you put him in this position of power? That's not the normal way for things to go. And see, I think sometimes it's the same with us. God speaks something, especially through somebody else, and we can sense that God's speaking. It just doesn't make sense at the time. It doesn't go against his word. Our spirit may align with it, and yet there's something missing in those moments. And I think when those things ha happen, we just have to take those things back to God in prayer, and we have to wait for his timing. In fact, what I would encourage you to do is in those moments, write it down. Put it in your journal if you journal. Write it on something and stick it on your fridge that you'll see in six months or a year or 10 years down the road when you actually clean that thing off. You know, put it somewhere that you're going to find it and see how God is working in that or what he's doing. I can remember a, a really specific moment. In fact, this past week kind of brought this back to me and I opened my Bible and went back and read these words because I wrote it down in the, one of the back covers of my Bible. But a good friend of mine who's another pastor, and I, have, I see him maybe once or twice a year now. Um, he's over in Orlando area. I was at a state pastor meeting and, and they were doing this thing where they were just praying over some of the pastors and praying a prayer of blessing over them, anointing them. And so I went up to my buddy, he's standing there anointing other pastors and praying for them and he spoke some words into my life. And I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but the, the key word in all of it, and this is something God had already spoken to my heart and was working in me, was surrender. And the words that he spoke that day I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was God speaking to me, no question. But I had no idea what it meant. God's been asking me to surrender for years because I'm a stubborn punk kid, now an old man, punk, whatever. And God's been speaking that for a long time, but there were some details that he spoke over me that day that I went, I don't like that, but I can sense that God's speaking. And there have been moments now, this was three years ago, there have been moments now in the last year, year and a half where God has revealed those things in my life. And he's still speaking it and he's still doing it and it's still a journey he's walking me in. Sometimes God speaks something and you know it's right. It doesn't go against his word, but you just can't see the whole picture and you don't know exactly what he's doing and it takes time for him to reveal that and show you other pieces of the puzzle of why He's speaking that in your life, but you have to hold on to those things. Remember, we see in part, but God sees in full. And here's the third thing that we need to hold on to. We need to submit our word to God's word. We need to test his word. And finally, the third thing is that we need to hold on to the word that God gives us. Hold on to the word God gives you. Stivy wrapped up last week with a similar idea, and I've already mentioned it at the beginning of the day, but this is critical. We have to hold on to the word that God speaks over our lives, his dream for us, that destiny that he's laid before us. Even when we're walking in the toughest of tests and trials, we have to hold to what God's promised. Joseph was an amazing example of this. When his brothers betrayed him, the dream seemed impossible, but he held on to it. 
When he got thrown in the pit, the dream seemed impossible, but he held on to it. When he got sold into slavery, the dream seemed impossible, but he held on to it. When he got accused and thrown into prison, the dream seemed impossible, but he held on to it. And each test along the way seemed to completely contradict the word that God had spoken over him, but yet he held to that word and his faith was strengthened as his character was developed in each of those tests. And here's why. Joseph held to the giver of the dream even tighter than he held to the dream. And you need to hear that. Joseph held to the giver of the dream even tighter than he held to the dream. When things went south, Joseph turned to God for strength and direction. He trusted that what God said was true and that God could do what he said he would do. Plain and simple. He didn't give up on God. He didn't walk away from his faith. He drew closer to God. He allowed God to change him from the inside out, making him the man that God had dreamed that original dream for. Because Joseph wasn't ready at 17. That dream God gave Joseph at 17, Joseph couldn't do that at 17. He didn't have enough context. He didn't have the character that he needed to be able to be that person. The dream that God gave to the 17-year-old Joseph was a dream that could only be fulfilled by a 30-plus-year-old Joseph who had walked through tests and trials of life that changed who he was. You have to hold to the word God's spoken over your life, the dream that he's given you. But you have to do that in the context of living according to his word and walking in obedience to these life-giving instructions. You can't separate the two. Joseph stepped into his destiny because he adjusted his life to God's plan all along the way. And if you want to step into God's destiny for you, you're going to have to do the same. Band, you guys come on up. I want to end with a verse that's done a lot of shaping in my life over the past few years. And quite honestly, it's a verse that I often fail to uphold and keep in practice, but it always corrects my course and puts me back on track when I put it into practice. And I hope it'll do the same for you. From James chapter four, verse 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Really simple phrase, really big when it comes to shaping our life. In the full context, looking at the verses leading up to this, James is telling us how foolish we are to make our own plans instead of trusting in God's plan. Now think about that in light of Joseph's story. Joseph gets a dream. He sees himself as this powerful leader that God's revealed to him. And I'm sure that dream, he's already filled in a lot of the details of what that's gonna look like and how he's gonna get there. And did any part of that match what God had planned for him? Probably not a single one. God had a completely different plan, a completely different journey, a completely different walk that he took Joseph on because he knew what Joseph needed to be able to fulfill the dream that he had given to him. Joseph didn't have a clue, but God knew. See, this is God's plan for our life. This is how we understand his plan. This provides the foundational instructions that should decide every decision we make. It's what everything in our life should be measured against. And when things aren't going the way you think they should go, when the plan is not unfolding the way you pictured it unfolding, when the dream seems to be a nightmare instead of a dream, this is where you turn. This is where you find truth that sustains you to get through that. This is where you find hope when it feels hopeless. That's how you know what you ought to do. Getting into this book is one of those things that you ought to do, plain and simple. 
you need to talk to somebody or you need prayer this morning, I would encourage you, you can go back to Next Steps. As always, we have people back there ready to pray with you, talk with you. I'll be back there in a moment. You can always come and kneel here at the stage. You can kneel there at your seats, spend some time in prayer. I know that the things I'm saying to you today probably don't have this real specific, like I need to go respond or do this thing. But it's a challenge you need to think about. Are you in God's word? Probably most of you in the room today would call yourselves Christians. You're followers of Christ. But are you actually following him? Or do you just say that? Because if we're following him, we're gonna spend time in his word. We're gonna learn who he is. We're gonna allow his word to change our life. We're going to allow him to speak into our lives. We're gonna put ourselves in a position where we can hear the things that he wants to say to us. And if you're not spending the time in his word, and if you're not spending that time where you separate everything else from the world from that time with him to walk in relationship, you're not gonna be able to hear that. Plain and simple. When we know what we ought to do and we don't do it, it's sin. Let that resonate in your heart today. What's God saying to you this morning? Will you respond in obedience? Because that's the only way that you pass these tests of life. Let's pray as the band comes and leads us in worship. Stand with me. God, thank you for how you speak to our hearts. Thank you that you do continue to speak to our hearts and that you have a perfect plan for all of our lives. And God, I pray that you would help us that in those moments where your plan doesn't make sense to us or where things seem to be going a different direction than what we want or where we feel like we'll never get to the thing that you've laid before us. God, I pray that in those moments you would help us to cling to you even more. To hold to your heart, to hold to the words that you've spoken over us, to hold to the words in your word, to get into our Bibles, to spend time reading, to let you speak to our hearts, to, to be able to take in the things that you're saying to us, the instructions that you've given us. God, I pray that this morning we would walk away from this place renewed and refreshed and with a change in perspective that helps us understand how important this is that we walk daily in relationship with you, that we spend that time in your word, that we spend that time in prayer, that we spend that time communing with you, spending time with you, allowing you to speak into our hearts. God, have your way today. Move as you want to move. It's in your name we pray.